this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, it's Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. And also welcome back to David Gold and Stuart Hughes. Um, These guys have... uh, I've done some research, uh, getting health and safety professionals uh, together um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and as a result of getting them together, they've, they've put a, a basically a paper together. The perceptions, experiences and opportunities for occupational safety and health professionals arising out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's a it's a really great read. And um, and I you know had the opportunity and the pleasure to sit down and spend some time just chatting to the guys about uh about how they did the uh the research you know why they did it you know what they were what they were hoping then to 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 do with the with the document at the end of the process and um it's really it's great it's brilliant it's lovely and it's going to lead us on it's going to lead us on to a third episode um where we're just gonna we're just gonna just talk about where the profession needs to go and um and I know um, Stuart recently put a really great article out, um, a blog out in um, on LinkedIn. I think it was where it where I saw it. You know, just saying, just challenging about you know safety, you know the word safety, you know, sort of where that fits into to what it is that we're trying to achieve. Anyway, I'm I'm going to hand over to uh, to David and Stuart. Um, so uh, um, well, welcome back, gents. You know, it's great to, it's great to have you back in the uh, back in the studio. Um, uh, and I'd like to explore in a bit of detail the, you know, the I suppose the 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 the, the nuts and bolts of the of the paper that you uh, that you put together and and some of the findings, you know, you know what came out of it. So, so um, we'll start with you, Dave. Can you tell us a little bit about 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 the how how it worked? You know, about how you the questions that you you formulated and the working groups. How did that come about? Well, ba- basically, the the idea was that we were going to take a small group of people maybe 12 or 13 people maximum. We were going to have, um, I moderated each session, but I had a, a wing person uh, on, on each one of them. Um, and Stuart would pop in when and as he could, because things were a little bit complicated at that point in time, scheduling wise. Um, and we tried to do it at a period of time where we could get people from around the world to participate. And that in of itself was a challenge. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, each group focused on a specific question initially. Um, we got their views on that question. And then basically when that question was answered, that was the first round. And, you know, they, they would introduce themselves. They had like one minute to introduce themselves. We didn't want to have a 20-minute a sort of introduction. Um, but they then they would kind of respond to the question. And then we would do a second round get people's reflection on the way forward on this particular issue. And as I say, we, we decided, as I mentioned earlier, we decided to do this at a, at a very a fairly high level. So all the participants were members of the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. They were either members of council or they were on the presidential team, which is ex officio members of council, or they were heads of branches or they were heads of 
um, of groups, professional groups, uh, such as the fire risk management group or the waste management group. They were all in that, in one of the roles of, of leadership. So in our mind, they were leaders um, of occupational safety and health. And the common, the common denominator was the institution um, of occupational safety and health. So if we take, for example, a question of the dynamics related to the different generations of, of workers and, and vulnerability. Um, there was a situation early in the pandemic, which was documented fairly well in the literature, um, that many people in the older generation feared that younger people who were less vulnerable to the pandemic were going to come in and infect them. And I remember a phone call with a close friend who was working at a university in Ireland. He was the safety and health person for that university where he had the professors coming in and saying, I'm not sure I really want to teach a class because I don't want these young guys who are less vulnerable to the pandemic to come in and infect me and then be carrying the infection to the family. And at that point in time, you know, this was, this was basically in 2020. Uh, no one knew where things were going, but we did know that people were dying. And we did know that the older generation was more vulnerable than the younger generation. Mm -hmm. So what were these dynamics and what were the perceptions and what could be done to strengthen a sort of relationship where people could communicate and people could talk? So basically the question was thrown out just like that. It was like a, a one to two minute introduction to the subject like like I just did not with this not with a specific example and then it was open forum that people just went around and said okay this is what I think no preparation they they knew the question before the thing but they they really didn't have time to prepare for it and then a short reflection and we documented it Stuart and myself and, and other people that are involved we, we basically put down the answers that we had we didn't record it um, because of the um, the requirements um, of confidentiality. Um, we didn't record it per se, but we, we were able to capture the, the critical messages and then share them back with the people that were in the group. And we explored seven different issues this way um, to, to look at it. And it was a range of issues. And, and for example, we looked at new arrangements and, and challenges in the workplace because all of a sudden we needed to do social distancing. We needed to do masks. We needed to have disinfecting sort of things. We needed to have readily available counseling. And even though people had employee assistance programs, they were completely overwhelmed. The safety and health profession was overwhelmed. The second issue was a complacency and resistance to protective measures where people rather dramatically refused to wear masks and later on refused to be vaccinated. They refused to maintain social distances. They refused to do an awful lot of things. And we saw this everywhere in the world. So the question is, how do we deal with complacency and this resistance to protective measures? And we had, we had nine people in that particular group and it was very dynamic. The third one I talked about, which is the different generations. The fourth group was, should we be addressing the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder? And here we had, we had a psychologist, um, a couple of psychologists that were actually in the group and, and we kind of stripped them of their rank. We didn't treat them as psychologists, we treated them as peers. Um, but we worked through the question together and, and we discussed it. And one of the things 
that came out of it, for example, the post-traumatic stress disorder is, do we know what post-traumatic stress disorder is? And do we know where it goes? And do we know how to signpost as a result of that? We as safety and health practitioners cannot be treating post-traumatic stress disorder, but if we see the signs that are coming, what measures can we take? Um, the fifth one was potential reduced workforces and safety and health implications. So as people started working from home or as people may have left certain jobs and there were fewer people left to carry out the critical functions that needed to be going on during the pandemic, how did the safety and health people adjust to it? Um, if the pace changed, if there were less people and more stress on the workforce, how was this dealt with? The, the sixth one was, are we losing sight of basic safety and health issues? And actually, this was a question that Stuart and I discussed at great length. Stuart raised the issue. And I, I thought it was an absolutely brilliant thing to, to incorporate into this kind of thing, because unfortunately, in some areas, um, sometimes the employers, sometimes supervisors, uh, sometimes directors would say, um, listen, our focus has to be on the pandemic. So some of the basic stuff about risk assessment, some of the basic stuff about control measures, some of the basic stuff that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis was kind of pushed aside. Mm -hmm. And the, which basically indicated that there was a weakness in the safety culture or the safety and health culture to be able to address some of these issues. Um, and the uh, final uh, one was, do we as safety and health professionals understand what burnout is and how burnout can be associated with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Because we, we ourselves as a profession, as safety and health professionals, we were, I had, I had people calling me saying, you know, I'm, I'm putting in 28 hours a day um, to make this kind of thing happen. And I'm working all around the world and I'm not sleeping. And I have a lot of stress and I've, my family is not coping with it. And, and everything seems to be falling apart. And, and how do we deal with this sort of thing? So, Again, we raised the question with nine people in the room. And altogether, we had 61 participants that were, that were working with us on this thing. Um, each of the seven sessions had a moderator and a wing person. Mm -hmm. So they, they could be explored a little bit to make this sort of thing happen. I, I hope that explains how the, how the things were, how it was set up. And, and uh, just to give you an idea, um, we had three managing directors. We had a number of directors of safety and health. Three, we had nine managers of safety and health. We had 12 consultants dealing with safety and health. We had a number of facility managers um, and a few people that didn't want to disclose their professions and this sort of thing. But it was a, I think it was a very good group. Um, and in reflecting, and, and I'm not sure what your reflection is to it, but in reflecting back, and also looking at the paper that we were able to pull together from it, um, I think we, we had the right target um, to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, you know, when whenever you do focus groups and, and, and elements, and I think, you know, it's probably worth just reinforcing that point that we didn't set out doing these to, to do a paper from, from, from the off. It kind of became apparent to David that there was the opportunity to, to do it out of it. Um, whenever you're doing these, it's, it's really critical that we don't get one dominant voice, that we're able to bring people in. There was some really like just, you know, bits that just like lifted the top of your, your head up and like exposed your brain to things you'd never even thought about. So like we had people from um, 
you know from africa on the call that we're just like you're talking about working from home like it's never like nobody's ever worked from home in africa like this is such a strange con concept like you know how do we even start to talk about whatever the health and safety implications may may be of, of that and i think you know as we were talking and, and thinking about these focus groups and 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 challenging ourselves to come up with well, what are we going to ask these people to talk about there, there was evident things in the environment at the time and you were hearing from peers like we, there's a challenge here to to balance our response to covid19 and to 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 operate business as usual there's a uh, you know in some of those key operational areas and manufacturing and construction and bits that were allowed to continue to work it was like well we're trying to do stuff with such a reduced workforce like how how do we go about this like we've got to completely reassess what we're what we're doing and and, and how we do it and, and it was those kind of snippets of conversations and elements who so were like there's something worth exploring in that there's some there's some something to go and mind to understand to understand a bit more and wow. you know the, the burnout piece kind of came came along as we were doing it you started to hear people going like this is exhausting it's mm -hmm. uh, you know in my normal day-to-day -day role i'm spinning 20 30 plates and now someone's just come in and, and and put a massive one in the middle that requires even more turning and i've got to keep going around the others and like you know what what's going to fall to the floor what am i going to you know accept that i'm not going to go and look at or do and how do i get comfortable with that and you were like okay you know is that those people are working phenomenal hours you know when when you were at the epicenter of this when your organization was turning to you they went how are we going to effectively mitigate the risks and carry on as normal and you look around and there isn't a roadmap mm -hmm. it's quite challenging mm -hmm. and 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 actually you know some people thrive in that like i loved it i'll be quite honest with you like for, throughout the pandemic the challenge of keeping the team operational and and um you know it, just how fast you had to think on your feet and 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 the ever-changing environment around you was something i really really enjoyed and it was a big eye it was a really big eye opener for me i was like I, you know it, it just kind of flicked a switch of oh I, i'm really into this this is this is good i enjoy this but there were other people who were like, I'm just, I'm swamped, I'm drowning, it's impossible, or like, I can't help all the people I want to help. And we were like, we're, the profession's going to, you know, run itself into the ground. So like, we should talk about this as well. And it was those conversations that really narrowed it down. Because, you know, you know, Colin, the, the, the scope of occupational safety and health, as we discussed, you know, previously is is beyond broad you know it's it's interlinked into in into everything it touches every kind of industry and 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 area of work so you know if, if the profession just you know ran itself into the ground how are we going to you know continue to help people and 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 help businesses survive and and and, and navigate through the challenge so those were the things that, that that came out and i think the the you know there could be critical challenge on on grouping and why didn't you go to broad, broader areas and everything else but you you go to where you have strong contacts and you go to where you know people are uh, influencing and you and, and you have to trust that that is a is a is a sensible cohort of people to to bring together but the global perspective was really eye-opening for me like hearing some of those challenges that you just have gone i'd have never 
I'd have never thought of that in a million years until somebody's just gone, oh, by the way, in this in this location, in this environment, here's some challenges you you know nobody's spoken to, and you go, oh wow, okay, that's a like you just shifts your mindset completely. You're like, what you know, I've got to I've I've got to kind of take a step back and think about actually, well, that's a completely different challenge associated with exactly the same issue that we're facing you know in the uk or america or, or wherever you're based and, and that was really in, that was really insightful um and then yeah i think the the challenge of trying to capture everything from the focus groups was was, was hard you know as a, as a as a moderator like the conversation flowed really well and it didn't it, there wasn't too much having to nudge people along there was a lot of actually right well how do we how do we make sure this is succinct? How do we capture it? How do we make sure that we're not just on one single item? Because it's it's very easy to do. Um, so that was, you know, some of the some of the challenge of it. And then when you've got this plethora of information, it's then right, well, how do you how do you sift that down to, to, to align that stuff? And um for me, this was the really interesting bit, right? So we've I've said I'm not academic and I was, you know, David very much is and and we had a chat about how we how we would turn this into a paper and build it um and one of my tasks was to take all of this information and go right what's the alignment where do these things sit in these buckets and that was a great challenge for me i love i loved that bit of work mm. you know it was like right okay well here's a really key thing and it sits across this and this but actually if you really boiled it down where where would you put it um and and that was really good. And then, but what I really enjoyed about it was then passing that work back to David and, and to the other David that we've mentioned as well. And for them to critique it and to go, actually, like, here's some challenge back on why that may or may not sit there, or here's some further uh, simplification or, or adjoinment of things that, that are saying the same stuff. So I took a lot out of that. that. That was really good for me. And then, you know, David and David did what I would call the heavy lifting. They did the the hard yards of the writing and the research and the, the 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 references and employed me as a critical friend really like you know here's what we've got so far do the read and review does it make sense to you where is where is that and i came at it from a completely non-academic perspective so i'm reading it and going like i don't understand this or this seems to conflict or we've drawn this diagram but it's 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 missing some elements to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really powerful for me because I think it can be quite intimidating when you're working with others who are, you know, well-versed in that space and, you know, you respect their intellectual, you know, power, if you like. And you go kind of, well, how am I going to contribute to this? Or, you know, am I going to stack up? And, and then you have to go, right, well, that's not what I, what is it? You have to step back, don't you? And go, well, what is it I'm here to contribute, you know? Why am I at the table? Who's invited me to the party, and 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 what do they need from me? And that pro that that was really helpful. You know, I think we've spoken in the past on different things about in, imposter syndrome, and you you get a bit of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of step into that world and go like, it's not my world. But then you kind of challenge yourself to go about. Well, actually, if I step back, what is it that, that what are the needs there? And that was really helpful for me. It anchored me to like, right, I know what my key role is in this. And it plays to me strengths and I, and, and I can do that. But I, I don't think I could have done the hard yards that David did in terms of the, the development of the paper. But also I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but when you're in that and you're doing it, you get 
almost like the tunnel vision you're in there and it's hard to step back and Mm. self-critique and analyze and i think having somebody you know outside of that to be able to do it for for you or with you is is really important I think it's really interesting. I realize, Colin, that the, the listeners um, cannot see us on the screen, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to change my background a little bit, and <laughs> and what I'm what I'm showing is a sailing vessel at sea during a storm, and and uh, I hope you'll um, you'll allow me to to build this analogy a little bit because um, I want to step back and, and think about the individual safety professional as they were called. Um, Stuart used the word navigating earlier, um, navigating into uncharted waters, not only uncharted waters, but stormy waters and difficult waters. And they didn't have an instruction book. They didn't have um, protocols in place for the most part to be able to deal with these uncharted waters. And the seven topics basically were some of these uncharted waters that from an individual perspective, and even if you go up to a organizational perspective or an institutional perspective, people didn't know where to go. We would turn for cert- to certain sources of information like the World Health Organization or the International Labor Office in the UN or the government, but there was also a certain, to extent, a certain amount of misinformation mm-hmm. that was being generated by the pandemic. And this became, Um, confusing for everyone, medical doctors, hygienists, nurses, the safety and health professional, people were confused about it because we were in uncharted and rough waters. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have the knowledge or let's be honest, we didn't have, most of us did not have the competencies to manage this kind of thing. And one of the transitions that the paper also pointed out, I'm going to go back perhaps to um, some smooth sailing. Um, I, one of the things that, that, we, that surfaced from this paper, beside looking at it from different perspectives, I mean, we looked at things from a strategic perspective. We looked at them from tactical skills. We looked at operational understanding. We looked at areas for research. We looked at professional competencies or organizational processes or role for others. We looked at all of these things from that perspective. And Stuart was great helping us navigate with that. But from the individual perspective, how did the nature of the safety and health person change as a result of that? And is it, a, and one of the things maybe needs to be explored in the future, is it a long-term change or is it a short-term change? So we saw that the traditional safety and health practitioner with a traditional skill set for the practice, with the idea of risk assessment and well-being perhaps anchored in place, the H was always quite little, the S was always quite big. But to what extent? Were they communicating with leadership? To what extent were they taking, were they providing tactical assistance or operational advice to leadership? Because the pathways were not there. Mm-hmm. The safety and health professional was in their office. They had their dotted line track to follow, which was not the operational track. They maybe didn't have the ear of the people in the C-suite um, or even business to business 
um, perhaps as well, but the their level of engagement was not so strong to be able to deal, number one, with a pandemic, and number two, provide the advice necessary because the skill set, the competency set was not necessarily there. So people were thirsting, and I believe this surfaced also, perhaps a little subtly, and maybe Stuart has a different perspective on it, but I think these this surfaced subtly during the during these um, focus groups that we needed to strengthen the profession. When people, when the C-suite, when the corporate directors, managing directors, chief operating officers turned to the safety and health professionals and saying, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to survive as a business? What can we do to protect our workers? What can we do to protect the safety and health of our workers as we're working through it? It actually created a great vacuum. It created a great amount of thirst for the safety and health practitioner to learn this thing. And some were perhaps threatened and left the profession. Some of them kind of buried their head in the sand, but I think the majority of them started to say, okay, where can we get this information? And where can we get, most importantly, truthful and credible information? And where can we get information that we can share back where is necessary? not only to the C-suite, but also to the workers. If, we're, if misinformation is rampant in this sort of situation, how do we now find the truth or find what is perceived to be the truth? And how do we share that with a certain degree of trust? So this whole issue of communication, this whole issue of technical assistance, this whole issue of going into the area of psychology and the social dynamic, the psychosocial dynamic, this whole area of assistance, you know, and, and um, the employee assistance program, as I said earlier, can only go so far. All of this surfaced subtly through this question and answer dynamic. Um, and there was in these one hour meetings, and I reflect back fondly of what, what Stuart said a few minutes ago when we, a, a former vice president of IOSH, a friend and colleague of ours from Nigeria. And, and he, was, he was very concerned and very scared about what was happening in, in Nigeria because it was not the perspective of someone in the UK. It was the perspective of someone in a, country in a culture where they did not have the wherewithal to tackle the problem and what could be done to help them tackle this kind of problem. And I think, and I, and I think that realization for many people that the world is not just the UK or the United States or Central Europe, the world is much broader and COVID basically exposed some of the weaknesses that perhaps, perhaps we were addressing it, perhaps we weren't in a number of countries in the world. I'm going to flip that back to you, Stuart, because I, I mentioned... Can I, can, I just come, can I just come in, if, if that's all right? It's, it's, it's really interesting listening to what you both said there. And I think one of the, one of the things... I, I like to visualise stuff, and I think you did it beautifully, Stuart, with your, with your spinning plates. And I think, um, you know, that, that all of a sudden this, this big plate came in and it affected, it affected all, the, all the other plates and how they span. And this was... And this, but but the, I think one of the things that, that I... Because I, 
I run a business that supports a lot of businesses. And so, so the pressure that I was getting was, was that each of these individual businesses have got their own unique problems, okay, that they had to deal with. And also, I had a business that had a problem as well, because all of a sudden, my, my turnover, which was, you know, heavily, heavily reliant on going out and doing training, just stopped, bang. So I was trying to deal with with what I was dealing with at the same time as trying to help businesses, and then and then and then the the guidance that was coming out was changing all the time, and you know and so and 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 there was this and I think one of them one of them is looking back at it now and it's easy it's easy to reflect but one of the things that the, the UK business was asked to do was to do a COVID risk assessment okay and every site had to have a COVID risk assessment and what it did is it is it totally compartmentalised this or siloed this problem. And, and, you know, and, and, it, and it made people just do something that was just around basically putting some sanitation up and, and keeping people apart. But and what would have been a much, in my opinion, what would have been a much better approach would have set, would have been. And this is, to be fair, what we started to say to our clients, look, just consider COVID as you consider other hazards in your workplace and include it in your in your approach. But that I don't think that, you know, it's only probably now that the government is even starting to say that now, isn't it? I think it's only recently just started to say you don't need a, a specific risk assessment and for COVID and, you know, but if you want to have one, you can, but, you know, consider it as part of your normal approach. And I just wondered, you know, as a, as a result of the exercise that you've done, you know, and the, the, the what's coming out, it, it, you know, what are we, what are we now telling, what are we now telling health and safety professionals about the approach and the way that we need to take things forward? Is that something that your paper really focuses on? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think it's an astute observation, Colin, and, it, and it's an interesting question. So, um, yes, you know, part of what we've put into the kind of discussion piece and recommendations is is a challenge to you know the OSH profession, the institutions, and and other bodies around to amplify the understanding of the value of the OSH profession and the role of the OSH professional. And I, and I think there is, you know, a lot, there's a lot of work to do there, but I think there is a, there is a call for making that stronger, for making sure our competency frameworks are relevant and for making sure that we've got a greater collaboration with, um, you know, whether it's the Institute of Directors or whether it's, you know, um, other bodies such as that, that are in, you know, management you know where are we in education programs etc so that you know we're we're not it's not the safety professionals role to integrate safety into all elements of the business that understanding of safety being in all elements of the business is 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 is, uh executed at an earlier earlier stage um and and i think some of that sea of change is happening and i think some of the um conversational change around bringing people back into sustainability is 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 helping with that but i think your point on the risk assessment right so yeah you've got to go and, you've got to go and risk assess it okay great but we, you know we understand the principles of risk assessment so it's a, it's a great vehicle to go and do it but you want me just to go and risk assess this thing that you know yesterday i'd only just heard about mm. and, and and now i need an effective risk assessment for it and by the way, whilst you're doing that, we're gonna we're gonna whip the carpet from under your feet every five minutes, and you you need to you know be pretty good at the old hopscotch to to stay on your feet. And that was really the challenge. The environment like moved around you so quickly, you know. And what I think the the savvy 
safety professionals went back to basics they went back to kind of first principle thinking and going right okay well what what's the environmental risk around us how do i monitor the change of that what are the core basics to this you know it, it sounds daft doesn't it you know like we we're going to reinforce you know the messages about good hand hygiene and you know how to con- you know control respiratory um the respiratory issues from it and in and in terms of how this passes on and that you know it changed didn't it because there was a lot of worry about contact transmission and then you know the science caught up and said actually that's not really a route of transmission you don't need to wor- worry about that this is definitely more in the airborne sphere mm-hmm. and it changed the inference on on the control measures and you had to, what it was very good for if you were on your toes was this is dynamic risk management this is actually what we should be doing. This is how you keep things live and at the forefront of, of, of people's attention because it's about communicating out what needs to be done. If you weren't great or if you got stuck at the start and 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 that was it, you you did you did the physical stuff. You set up the social distancing, you put all of the protective measures in place, you ramped up your air can your, your air exchanges, you did all the ventilation stuff, you know, all that good stuff. You did a nice welcome back to work video for your employees and like all of that good stuff, but you're stuck there mm. because you're like, right, we've done it, it's in the risk assessment, it's good. But if you haven't shifted that risk assessment along throughout the course of the pandemic, you you haven't stayed up to speed. And that was that was, you know, evidently really challenging. And I think just to revert back to something David mentioned there, you know, we we saw people turn to the OSH profession and the OSH professionals, but we also saw people turn the other way. And I think one of the things that the the paper calls for, and David might have a slightly different view on on this narrative, but is how we get people to turn in the right direction at the right times for what we need. And I think that's in, in, imperative. And I think there's a, um, you know, you could kind of quite often have people talk to you and say, well, actually, you know, because you're a, you've got a great platform as a VP to, to, to generate change. We've all got a great platform to generate change. Everybody has the capability to generate change around them. And if I'm honest, I think we all have an obligation to do that. To, to, to you know, the small changes, as I said, way back when we started some talking earlier this morning, they compound and they and, and they make a difference. Mm-hmm. And and I think some of like it's it's a really important point. It's like how do you put that force field up of attraction to get people to come and say, actually, we understand the core principles of sensible and proportionate risk management. So we're going to turn to you when we've got a new risk that we don't fully understand, but we know the principles of what you work with will apply. And that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, it doesn't matter whether it's COVID or whatever, you know, a, a, a new fangled like pan- pandemic in 10 years time or whatever else, we'll be much better prepared to, to deal with this again. You know, you could see, it's easy to sit here with your rose-tinted hindsight glasses on and go, right, well, we could have done X, Y, and Z better, and this is better information flow. And we won't be in such a loose-footed situation again. You know, we've, we've, I think, as a whole, we've learned from it. But it was interesting to see, you know, which way people turned and how they navigated through this. And and I think one of the other great things I saw a lot of was, was just sharing of really meaningful and interesting mechanisms to cope but also people kind of waving that flag of going like 
don't forget about the day job mm-hmm. you know there was some really interesting discussions about like well you know in a year where the high proportion of people have worked from home in a year where people have shut down where construction sites haven't fully operated where you know elements of why are our fatality figures still so high mm-hmm. or why have they plateaued why have they not would you not expect a reduction and then you go well actually well where were the gaps in that risk management process there was just really interesting insights that popped up you know um not just in our conversations and the focus groups but i think in the broader discussion of osh mm-hmm. um but i think you're right like we, we we have tried to direct a call for an improved future path for for the profession Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that David and I were quite passionate about making sure that we um, agitated a little bit out of the paper to to push for change. And, and one of the things, Stuart, I really appreciate what you said, and, and we're completely, as usual, aligned in our in our thinking. Uh, I wouldn't expect otherwise um, because we work so closely together on this. Um, but I want to go back to Colin's question a little bit because I'm, I have a little bit of a concern. Um, we, our perspective on the paper was not the UK. Okay. Our perspective was not Central Europe. Our perspective was not the United States. And even, it's a little scary, but in the United States, people are looking more at hazard assessment rather than risk assessment. And when you start to get into French and German language, there's no such word as hazard. They use the word danger and we have a different definition of danger. Mm-hmm. And then when you start working into the developing world where I spent a lot of time working in the UN, um, the role has changed. They, they don't necessarily have the resources. And we have in the UK, it's, it's a fairly prescriptive method of risk assessment. And it's a good risk assessment. It's put forward by the HSE, starting with identifying the risk, identifying who's, in, who's at risk, and so on and so forth. The, the five different elements of risk assessment, they're solid, they're bomb-proof. And, but you step over the channel into other countries, and it's a different dynamic, and it's a different way of dealing with it. And even if we take the first step of the risk assessment, and that is uh, identifying the, the hazard or identifying the danger, um, that was very much during COVID a moving target. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being able to do a dynamic risk assessment, as, as was just pointed out by Stuart, um, is critically important. Um, but the initial steps to do the risk assessment based on the information that we had, based on a lot of misinformation, even from trusted sources, um, put the safety and health professional in a position of weakness. Mm -hmm. And also there was a certain amount of distrust. Now I applaud the fact that someone tried to put forward the idea of a COVID-19 risk assessment. Um, It used the basic tool to address a particular problem, although there were there were multitude of different problems associated with COVID-19, as the paper points out. Yep. Um, but the idea that, you know, did anyone ever catalog what all of the different risks were for someone sitting in the Congo who speaks French and someone sitting in Saudi Arabia who has a different perspective and someone sitting in, in China? Um, you know, we, 
well, perhaps one of the weaknesses of our paper is the paper was in English, the study was in English, the focus groups were in English. For us, or you may argue whether English is my mother tongue or not, but for us, it's a mother tongue. Mm-hmm. And other people had to interpret what we're saying into their own language and interpret the concepts of what we're saying into our own language. And that's something that we had to deal with. We were so thankful of the Nigerian experience. We also had an experience with people from the Middle East and people from the the Far East that were also part of this dynamic. And we had some Americans involved as well. So this led to different dynamics and, and led us into a more international sphere than being UK centric. And I think the UK has led safety and health around the world for many, many years in a very, very positive way. But we have to be open to the fact that other people in different cultures do things differently. And that affects their ability to do things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have to be ready to say, okay, we're saying that risk assessment should be the standard risk assessment, but what is the standard risk assessment and will that work in all the cultures where people have been taught differently? Mm-hmm. So a little bit of concern for the future there. Um, I think waiving, the, waiving a standard of what risk assessment is and how it works is a great idea, but how it adapts um, and how people work through that is, is, is another issue. And this adaptation of risk assessment through the COVID sort of thing, you know, one of the things with the, the analogy that I put forward earlier about being on a ship and suddenly being in a storm and, and uncharted waters, one of the problems for the people on the ship is you can't jump off the ship or you're in more danger than when you were on the ship. Mm-hmm. Okay, the ship is basically the, the platform you're working from. And people in different parts of the world, they were on a ship, but not necessarily the same ship we were on. And they didn't have the ability to leave the ship. They had to find ways of dealing with it. And I think one of the advantages we also had in doing this paper is we started to understand some of the thinking that went on in these different ships to continue with the analogy as people were faced with these challenging situations that they had to deal with. I think we also, to a certain extent, opened their eyes. Many safety and health professionals did not understand PTSD. Many safety and health professionals did not understand that the basic safety elements were starting to disappear when we started to apply our priorities to the COVID measures. Many people did not understand this dynamic between younger and older people um, as we worked through it. And I think through these focus groups, we were able to open not only the eyes of the people that were in the focus group, but as we, as the paper is now spreading through academia and other places and, and it's, it's hitting different elements of the profession, they were all of a sudden saying, hmm, this is interesting. We have to be able to take this broader dynamic. The aim, sorry, sure, but I'm, I'll come to you in a second. But the, <clears throat> what, what was your, what were you actually looking for out of the focus groups? Were you, were you looking for any form of consensus or were you looking for, for just having the debate and, and putting the debate down into, into the paper that, that will hopefully then create more debate what, what, what were you what were you trying to achieve exactly that right so i don't think um well no i know we weren't driving for a consensus we wanted a, a, a broad range of input and to see you know how far how how wide was that range of of, of opinion? Was there a, was there just naturally common ground? Was there you know things that were poles apart? 
and I think what we really wanted to to achieve out of it was rather than any um, hard and fast, you know, this is the right concept A, this is the right recommendation B, it was like, how do we generate further conversation on this? How do we, you know, pour petrol onto a fire and, and, and get the inferno going in terms of, you know, meaningful debate on, on the OSH profession, on its value, on the benefits of, you know, having an under, broader understanding of risk management, of having, you know, beyond safety and beyond health, like actually how do you understand organisational risk? How do we start to bring in, you know, um, a greater understanding of resilience? How do we start to bring in some of these uh, socio-economic issues and some of the psychological points that we, we've discussed in this? And it was, that was what we wanted to, to, to drive out of it was actually like, if we put this out there, how are going to our people, the profession, the representative bodies, governments going to react and you know challenge thinking and and embrace discussion, and and you know that's my hope from the paper is that you know in doing things like this review, Colin, and, and you know, publicizing it a bit more and having meaningful chats that, that we can start to generate the right conversations to push us into, you know, well, to help us get to a better future, I think, for for the profession so that we can leave behind some of that um, image of the clipboard warriors and computer says no. And if you're not from the UK, you won't get some of those references, but, um, you know, to try and just break that stereotype, but also to, to, to really integrate, you know, ocean and, and, and business, you know, for a broader societal impact, you know, and that sounds very lofty, but I, I don't think we should be ashamed of that. Like we should be hyper ambitious as a profession to make meaningful change. And I think we can only do that if we have, you know, very sensible debate about what it is we're actually trying to achieve uh, and what the value is is in that and and I think the paper's done some of that there's more to do I think you could have you know you could really zero in on those seven questions and really kind of laser in and do do deeper dives there's probably a whole other set of topics that we could do another paper on you know two years into the pandemic people are saying post-pandemic I'm not quite sure that's where we are yet but you know as, as you've said Colin you can sit back and reflect and see things that you would do differently or that we could do differently mm-hmm. it, there's there's time to move this on and on and I don't think it's a the debate stops at any point but it what what a, what I would like to see is that the debate tries some action and the action is is meaningful and then we can have the point of reflection, challenge the action and move forward again. Um, it, it, that's that, that's my view on it, you know, from having been involved and from what I've seen people speak about subsequently and from some of the participants, you know, talking to us as a, as a result of it. Um, I hope that answers your, your question there. Definitely, definitely does. Let me, let me tackle it a little differently. Um, I, I would use the word, I would use the word springboard. Um, and I, I like the word springboard because it captures a lot of things visually. Uh, it's not walking the plank <laughs> to go back to the nautical world, um, but it is trying to achieve something, to, to work towards something in the future. And I, I think 
that will probably lead in or segue into into the into the next discussion. Um, but what I think we need to be extremely cognizant about um, you know, at the end of the sessions, we, we kind of had a debrief with some of the key people in the sessions and we heard words like excellent, brilliant, really exciting. You know, you really did a great job with this. We really love this kind of thing. That's not what I wanted to hear really. You know, it, it was nice to hear, you know, you know, you had these kind of attaboys, you know, these pats on the back and, and you know, you feel really good about it. But what I wanted to hear was more like, yes, this is stimulating our thinking of where we should go with this and how we should incorporate this and how we need to re-examine the competencies of the safety and health professional and how we need to even extend the institutional competencies to embrace some of the other professions that are in occupational safety and health besides safety engineering. So these were the things that, and I think, you know, for example, the idea of the role of the psychologist um, or the role of the psychosocial person surfaced um, during these things. And, you know, there, there are things I learned quite a bit. I know Stuart learned quite a bit during these focus groups. Um, I wish I had the energy to organize seven more focus groups. I mean, it, it required a phenomenal amount of energy, both on Stuart's and my part to, to put this in place and, and make it happen and, and work this whole thing on a, on a new platform for many, many people, the, the Zoom platform. Um, it worked very effectively, but you know, it, it's like we've done the seven, um, I actually did a, an informally, I did the eighth to focus a little bit more on the, the PTD, PST, PTSD issue. But, you know, it would have been great for an organization or institution or a branch somewhere to do the same sort of thing in the future, to take this sort of methodology and replicate it and explore hundreds of other issues that face the safety and health professional. Um, and I think... I think Stuart and I, um, I don't want to say use the word proved, but we reinforce the idea that the focus group is a very, very powerful tool because unlike many institutional programs where you've got a panel of three experts sitting in front of the room and you have to sit there and listen, and maybe you'll have an opportunity for five or 10 minutes after the presentation to maybe ask a question, maybe get an answer. Um, this was driven by the participants. And this is why we did not have firm conclusions. We were able to basically pull together people's ideas and sense a sort of direction on how this issue should be tackled in the future from different perspectives. So we, we went head on with the concept of the talking heads you know, and basically gave the power to the participants in the room. And because of that, we couldn't draw necessarily conclusions we might have wanted to draw, but we had something far richer from different levels or different tiers as we worked through it. I think that's yeah, so, no, sorry, so, sorry, Colin. I think like that, that richness, like a, it's like a tapestry. I think is the best way to describe it, how it all kind of has, has sewn together. And what it's left us with is, is you know, what, what David said there, like we want it to be 
stimulating for debate we want it to be a, a, a catalyst for change but but not change for change's sake like actually let's have a, a a proper conversation about you know understanding that you know that the next is it's easy to sit here today and to manage the things that you manage today what's really hard is to go right okay what's valuable to learn now or to think about now that's going to be effective in in you know risk mitigation and containment in 10 years time mm. you know that's what's on coos minds ceos minds you know the they're five, 10 year tenure in their company. Mm. How do I hand it over in good hands? And we we should be aligning with that. We should be challenging ourselves to be like, okay, how how do we make sure we are future fit? How do we make sure that we are, you know, a key player in this? And how do we make sure that we bring the other key players to the table at at, at the right times? And I think um you know, we don't we, we haven't got all the answers from this. But but what we have done is is you know stimulated um you know people to to and, and to challenge you want constructive criticism you know like if you do a blog post or an article or you know your, your podcast and you put it out then everyone goes like oh well done that's really good you know that that's nice or it, that, that's an you know it's an interesting converse, conversation it's like okay well that feedback's like mega bland really like yeah. it's nice and and you know whatever but actually what you really want is to some somebody to say I'm not quite sure I agree with that. Or actually that stimulated me to think about how I deal with X in, in Y situation or oh actually yeah, this this competence is super lacking from the from the profession as a whole and we really need to to to, to come up with a solution for that. That's what we want to see out of it. You know, somebody somebody's driven as a result of thinking about it to say, here's here's how I can proactively make it make a change or make a contribution to it and I, and I think that that's what you want you want to you want to yeah stimulate that that collective thought process and challenge and I don't want it to be an echo chamber I don't want everybody to say oh well done congratulations like really not interested in that actually he here's some stuff to chew on here's some stuff to think about let's Here's some granularity challenge in, in 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 what you've come across, and here's where it doesn't work, and that is a far more interesting conversation and result of, of doing something like this than a, um, you know, than a nice little star on your lapel or what whatever you might get out of it. Another five in, a way, in, in a way, it was in many ways it was like an academic seminar, like a graduate seminar, where the the leader of the seminar they they throw an idea, they throw an idea on the table, they come in the room and they say why. Mm-hmm. And then everybody starts talking. I think an interesting example that, that very much illustrates what both Stuart and I are saying was when we were talking about the difference in generations. Um, and one of the topics that we did not put forward, but the participants put forward, was the idea of messaging mm-hmm. and finding a means of doing simple messaging that would enter into the hearts and minds of people to change their behavior and change their thinking. And then the debate went on a little bit. Um, In fact, we went over time with this particular one where the whole idea of messaging came, well, who should be delivering the message? Well, maybe we should find some people that are popular in the public eyes targeted at a specific age group. So maybe we should find the football player or maybe we should find the movie star and maybe we should craft a message that's easy and acceptable to understand 
so that we can see a change in behavior and we can start tackling this particular issue. Mm -hmm. So it became something where people left the focus group with some ideas that they could work on and some ideas that they could foster. Mm. I think for me, I mean, it's just so, so valuable, you know, to, uh, you know, to create a, to create a, a, a resource that can, that can, that can generate that, uh, you know, that, that constructive discussion is, is going to do nothing other than be, be good for the, uh, for the future of our, of our profession, you know, so it's, uh, it's absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant what you're doing. And, and I'm thinking of the ways, you know, that, you know, assure myself are, are a member of a group called Miletium, Project Miletium, where we, uh, where we, we sit down and have discussions. And I think, you know, what we've got is, you know, we've got, we've got something here now that we can actually use, you know, we can, we can use your, your paper and we can, and we can bring up these topics and, and get the, get the, the people in the room to really start to think about, you know, how it influences them. I think, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the things for me that this conversation has done that we've had today is just made, made me realize some of the, some of the gaps that I've got in, in how I've supported some of my clients through the, uh, you know, through, through the last two years, you know, and some of the things that I need to, uh, you know, I need to, I need to do a little bit better. I need to reflect on, and I need to, uh, you know, to, to be in there and, and support them a little bit closer. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been really, really interesting, really fascinating for, for myself. Well, I would, yeah. hope, I would hope that if I can, I know we yeah. have, I know we're running against the time clock, but mm-hmm. I, I would hope in my heart of hearts, and I hope I'm speaking for Stuart and myself, is that other people, when they listen to this, will, will think about downloading the paper and reading it, yep. and at the same time, take this methodology and apply it to other problems in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for example, a, a focus group that could look at building a dynamic safety culture through dialogue <clears throat> or the meaning of safety culture. I mean, we were exploring COVID-related issues. Mm-hmm. But there are far deeper and far more important things if we want to see the profession grow, mm-hmm. that they could use this focus group mentality. It takes the wind out of a boss's sail to allow people to basically talk and talk and talk and talk when you've actually stimulated and you can summarize, you have five minutes to summarize. I mean, there's so many organizations and institutions where you have a panel, as I said earlier, you have a panel of five people and they're the talking heads. But where the real ideas come from are the people. And this is a way of stimulating people's thoughts. So, and, and you've just reflected that, Colin, and I appreciate the fact that you have. Ah, that's brilliant. Gents, I'm, I mean, what, we, what we're going to do is there's going to be a third episode. And I'm really looking forward to that because this is going to be your blue sky thinking on where the, uh, where the profession needs to go. I think, well, the three of us will be, will be talking about it. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, to, to having, having that discussion and, uh, and allowing people to, uh, you know, to sort of listen to our views and opinions. So, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and talking, uh, talking to this point. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to where we're going to, where we're going to be taking the next episode. Colin, thank, thank you for, for having us one. And I think secondly, for, you know, having read the paper and, and, you know, saying actually there's something, there's something in this that I want to discuss and giving us the opportunity. It, it's, it's appreciated. And I think, you know, as David rounded up there, like, there's much more to do with the methodology and greater things that we can we can put put it to use for which is fantastic and yeah we welcome the opportunity to come back and have a little bit of a, uh, a free-flowing conversation on on where we think we should and shouldn't go as a as a profession which um 
it's always exciting. <laughs> That's what we got. Again, again I, I, I completely concur with, with what uh, Stuart just said. Um, this is exciting. This is enjoyable. Yeah. It's kind of a free for all in some ways, but at the same time, you're, you're, you're keeping us on track and focus calling and, and that's absolutely great. Um, and um, let me just end again by expressing uh, our condolences uh, for the loss of your friend. Mm. Um, I understand that this must be very, very difficult for you. Nah, and, no, really, really um, look appreciate forward it. to the next session. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. I love that. David Stewart, thank you so much for your time. Um, you're just so just so succinct and just so um are just challenging. You know, that's why that's what I love about t- chatting to you guys is is that you really got me thinking and challenged me in the nicest possible way, you know, to think about some of the things that I have done, some of the things that I've how I've performed during the uh you know, during the, the pandemic, and it was such a you know difficult time for for everybody, and you know, and really, you know, we were all finding our way, and um, and you've you know really brought together some some really great topics to think about, topics to to discuss. You know, the seven the seven questions that uh, you know that you posed those people uh, who were a part of the uh, you know part of the, the group, part of the community. I just think it was really. Just really, really interesting, and and to be fair, you know, as you sort of say, the 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 paper is really the starting point. It's the starting point to get some really great discussion, to get some great conversation going about about these important topics, about how we perform, you know, in pressure, about the the role that the, the health and safety profession has in you know in, in just in business, in life, in general, and and you know, and you got me thinking and. Uh, um, and it was an absolute pleasure, and it's something that we're going to use. You know, we're going to use this paper. I think as part of the um, of our of our reading of our um, you know community, uh, the Project Meletium community. We will u- we will use this and uh, and really you know just challenge the people in our room about you know about what it is that they do uh, as health and safety professionals in their place of work. So you know, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm really excited about the the next episode. You know, just dropping a little uh, a little teaser in. You know, just talking about. You know, you've got these two really fantastic people um, who are going to come on and and talk about about where the profession needs to go and um, you know their opinions. Okay, and you know, hopefully, there's going to be some controversy in there because I love a bit of controversy. Um, you know, and but it's really you know let's let's challenge for the better. Let's challenge for the better of our industry. Thank you so much for coming on, and um, you know we will see you next week where we are, where we go blue sky. Just a short word from our, uh, our sponsors. Project Meletium is an amazing community of health and safety professionals. And if you're new to the profession or you're just starting out, if you're if you're somebody that's that's maybe hit a bit of a crossroads, you know, or a plateau in their career and not sure where to go, or if you're somebody that's coming towards your end of your career and you want to give a little bit back, then Project Meletium is the place for you. Um, we have quarterly uh, quarterly wagon wheel. There's a, a monthly philosophy call, which is really interesting, and uh, you know that's shared by by Simon Cassian, which is which is really cool. Um, we have a weekly uh, um, community course, and um, and also a book club. So you know, please get yourself along. Check out www.projectmeletium.com. And Meletium is spelled M O L I T I A M. Come along, see what it's about. Your first month is free. We'd love to see you on some of the calls. Bye. For now. 
Thanks for listening to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage. <laughs>